In my opinion, the readings could not have been more perfectly placed in our times because they concern the nature of reconciliation. Because now is the time the people of God need to lead this nation into reconciliation with its own people. Now is the time when we are called to make good our baptism, to be agents of forgiveness and justice in this country. Every day, somebody says to me, I can't wait till the election is over. It makes me sick. The sad state of our national pride is devolving into shame and disgust. During a vitriolic presidential campaign that has little to do with the issues facing the nation and everything to do with character assassination, we have been rocked by violence between law enforcement officers and people of color in our streets. We are talking about walling ourselves in against the arrival of immigrants from Mexico. There is a huge increase in violent attacks on Muslim United States citizens. The prophet Isaiah would have understood these experiences as our national infidelity to the way of Yahweh. Isaiah would have characterized the depression and woe which bedevils our citizens as the grim result of Yahweh's disfavor. Listen again to how Isaiah characterizes Yahweh's anger with Sodom and Gomorrah. When you stretch out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. These are the words of someone who is beyond reconciliation, from Isaiah's point of view, this is what happens when a nation breaks its covenant with Yahweh. Isaiah uses that old story of Sodom and Gomorrah from the days of Abraham to warn Jerusalem and to warn us that in its faithlessness, in its concern for making deals with the prevailing government and not taking care of widows and aliens and orphans, it was going the way of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because this is Isaiah's way of saying that Yahweh's reality is not optional. A covenant is a covenant. And when it is broken, only Yahweh knows what Yahweh will do. Yahweh says, you can beg all you want, but I won't even look at you. You can pray till you're blue in the face. I won't listen. Well, I ask you, my friends, who among us doesn't know that feeling? Who among us has not been so offended and so alienated? We haven't thought that. And are we not in that very same position in this country right now? Are some of us not saying that we are so threatened, so affronted, so incensed with the behavior of aliens and Muslims, African-Americans and transgendered people that we can't hear them? In the days of Isaiah, what would come next for us would be a very hostile takeover in which we would be exiles in our own country because that was the old covenant. Because Yahweh might deliver us to our own destruction in Yahweh's wrath and indignation. However, seven or eight hundred years on, Jesus had another idea. The kind of tense, paranoid, destructive atmosphere which characterized Isaiah's Judah and also describes America today, was exactly the situation in which Jesus lived. As you well know, 
Roman oppression was very significant and very capricious. Let's not forget that Herod the Great slaughtered all two-year-olds in Bethlehem. Huge rifts existed among the Jews. And in this scene, Zacchaeus is an opportunistic Jewish civil servant skimming off the top of the exorbitant taxes he collects. He is seen by his neighbors as a sellout. To be fair, he is not, however, without sensibilities. He is interested in Jesus and the Jesus movement. In his apparent unconcern for his community, he represents someone who has turned his back on his identity as a son of Abraham. In Isaiah's time, he could have expected divine retribution. This time, however, this time when God becomes visible in the story, as is always true in the New Testament, God does not send Zacchaeus to his death at the hands of his employers, but befriends him. And in the way that love always melts the hardened heart, Zacchaeus is so moved by this friendship that he announces that he will use all his money to dispense justice. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation comes from reconciliation with God, but reconciliation comes from love. Jesus moved towards Zacchaeus in friendship, not retribution. Here in this church, we see ourselves as the holy people of God, gathered together to remember Jesus in the breaking of the bread together. We do that in the hopes of being able to be more Christ-like in the world beyond the walls and for the grace of being together here in the name of Jesus. Is it not time for us, and we who are all sons and daughters of Abraham, to sing a new song unto our land? Is it not past the time for us to reach out to the people who have offended us in some way and offer reconciliation or help others to do the same? If we do not offer a place in our hearts and our community for people in need of reconciliation, who will? These are the times, my friends. These are the times for which we were baptized. We will all say that we are only a few people and the problem is so complex. But I say to you, forgiveness and justice are based on individual hearts and minds, yours and mine and ours together. Forgiveness is an attitude of love, opening the heart to the possibility of friendship, whether one needs to forgive or to be forgiven. The action of forgiveness is not to withdraw, not to remain silent and hurt, unreachable, unmoving, not listening. The practice of opening is not done in one act of social justice or one confessional moment. It is an hourly, daily turning back to the chance for understanding the other. There are so many opportunities to listen to the hurt and the injustice in this moment in this land. There are ballot propositions which concern social justice. There are deep and abiding issues of climate change and eco-justice. There are great masses of people living in our country whose basic human rights are denied, 
not to mention their rights as American citizens. Each of us knows what it means to be Zacchaeus. And each of it knows what it means to forgive him. That practice of opening our hearts and opening again and opening again is the basis of our salvation. The door of the kingdom of heaven. Here in this congregation, I have witnessed love for one another and amazing fellowship. Here in this congregation with you, I have distributed resources, given comfort, borne witness, cared for people with deep need, and advocated for mercy, all of which is doing justice. God is working with you and in you. So when you are sick of the political debates, when you turn off the news in exasperation and horror, when you think you've had enough, think about Zacchaeus. He is there as a metaphor for us so that we look at those people whom we have written off as unworthy in some way. And in that moment with your Zacchaeus, when you hold open your heart to the possibility of reconciliation, there will be your salvation. The good news in this gospel is that when we open our hearts to the potential for Zacchaeus always, we become the instrument of salvation to the world. Think of it. What could we do as a church together? The greatest feeling I have experienced in this congregation is love, and love is the door to forgiveness. So as I leave you today, my hope for you is that you let your love pour out into the world where it will open hard hearts and bring on the kingdom of God. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R MV for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon.